Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Podcast like it. Just podcast like it. Podcast like it's 1999. Podcast like it. Hello and welcome to Podcast Like It's 1999, the podcast where I'm forced every week to come up with the location that we're coming from and camp this week here in 2022. I'm one of your hosts, Kenny Nybart. And I'm Phil Iscove. And with us today for the first time, we're so thrilled to have Esther Zuckerman. Thank you so much for coming on our podcast Thank you so much for having me. I don't know why I waved. I love it's, it's a podcast, uh, I mean, but I'm waving. We're, 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 our patrons will we'll be able to see you. So you're waving at <laughs> the okay, patrons. Good. Yes. <laughs> Uh, thank you so much for coming on, Esther, to talk about um, Curb Your Enthusiasm, which, so there was a one-hour HBO special that aired in 1999, um, and I don't, I mean, I'm going to be perfectly upfront. I am not, I can't go that deep on Curb, so I'm thrilled that you guys are here to talk more in depth about this series than I can, but I didn't know this existed. Like, I didn't know that there was like a one hour thing, which I'm assuming was like a test balloon to see whether or not was it. Oh, really? I mean, no, it was just like a yeah. one hour thing. Okay. This okay. is Larry. I mean, Esther, can you speak to this? Like, I, I'm, I'm going to, you know, make stuff up. Uh, can you speak to this? <laughs> can you speak to this more? No, I, I mean, did you know this existed? This I know was... you're a Curb fan, but did you know that this existed? I'm a Curb fan, but I didn't have a great knowledge of this. Yeah. Special. I think yeah. I had watched it like maybe once, but I didn't when I rewatched it for the purpose of the podcast. Like I didn't really remember yeah. a lot of it. Um, and I don't. I think they did a one-off special, and then 
that sort of, and then this became the idea for the series sure. rather than let's do a test to make it this to see if a series is going to work. You know, it's not really a pilot, I guess. Is what's interesting yeah. about it. Like it sort of is rounded off. Like it's its own thing, I guess. After, you can see where the show comes from. After but, you know. 22 yes. years of Curve, yeah. one form or another, this doesn't seem that special. But <laughs> I watched this in I watched yeah. this in college. Okay. Uh in, in it must have been I remember watching it in like must have been oh one or oh two. Because they would replay it all the time. It was called technically it's called Larry David Colin Curb Your Enthusiasm, mm-hmm. uh, and we thought it was pretty revolutionary at the time. Really, and I still do think it's pretty revolutionary in yeah. its own way. I mean, it is a it is a meta commentary on how a behind the cameras person, you know, transitions to in front of the camera. It is a a kind of humor that we really hadn't seen before outside of Seinfeld, but it's, you know, this kind of R-rated Seinfeld thing. Shackles are off for, for Larry. Uh, I think that there's a reason that this turned into a 22-year phenomenon. Uh, and I think it's all kind of there in the beginning. I don't think it's great. I don't think the, the, yeah. it's great, but I think no. it's great. I, I think it's amazing I, I you know what i mean i think it's kind of like 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 it, for the moment for the time it kind of floored me that's what you think one of the things that struck me about it was that you know the structure of curbs curb episodes is something that i find so special because basically every curb episode has multiple storylines that sort of orbit each other and then Larry's behavior ends up like biting him in the ass every single time and they sort of converge in a sort of magical way. Um, you know, and because the structure of the show is so loose and there's so much improv, it does feel sort of special, but it always ends up, and this one sort of, and the special sort of does the same thing. You know, it starts out with this idea that he's going, that he's gonna do the stand-up set he's going back into stand-up but then there's a side plot about him writing the doing a recommendation for an assistant who is on Seinfeld and then that loops around to the very end and I think that circular structure of curb episodes is so special and the fact that it was able to come around to like happen in that very first attempt and just kept repeating itself like sort of amazed me rewatching it this is the underrated thing about larry david i think all right now i I think larry david is a marvel i think he is a magician (laughs) i think he is a national treasure uh i think he is i i I think he's i think he's like one of our great humorists and personalities and minds and if it wasn't for that ridiculous crypto ad it would he would literally have a spotless record (laughs) But um, I was but so upset about that. Very upsetting. It's very upsetting. And I was upset when Matt Damon did it too. I mean, you know, they yeah. must be throwing just insane amounts of money. And like, and I, I think Larry's yeah. like, ah, I don't know. But I think the thing with Larry that that you're you're speaking to, mm-hmm. Esther, is this pilot pilot this show this special, special whatever yeah. speaks to the core of Larry David, which is he comes off like somebody who can't be bothered with your bullshit. But what he really can't be bothered with is rote, typical 
normal, boring bullshit. He's not going to bother doing it unless it's really, really great. And like you're saying, like what you're talking about with Curb, I can tell you haven't been in comedy rooms. That's the goal of every fucking television show. To do exactly what yeah. you just, what you, I mean, every comedy show, and yeah. that you know, and if you if you take improv, that's the improv structure. It's this, but yeah. I, but, I, but my point is, he nails it almost every time, and right. almost every other show never nails it, <laughs> and then they start mailing it in. They start going into this like, well, you know, as long as it's funny and like we didn't, you know, we didn't pay this off, but like, you know, people are gonna like this. Larry won't settle, and I fucking yeah. love well, that. About to that this. point. And I think it's worth noting, too, he's the first guy that I can think of where he's like, I'll do the show when I have an idea. The show will be back when I feel like bringing the show back. And that's rare, too. Right. I mean, there have been not anymore, but yeah, not anymore. But he was the first guy. He kind of broke new ground in the sense he's like, I'll be gone for three or four years and I'll come back when I feel like I have something that's worth doing. Um. I, I think that's interesting. I think there's, I mean, obviously he's got the freedom of being on HBO, but still it's, it, it makes it feel special when it comes back. Yeah. I mean, that's, this is, this is now the, this is now essentially the model for a lot of our better yes. comedies in particular. This is what Donald Glover does. This is what Bill Hader does. Yeah. This is the what model. Louis C.K. did. For Louis C.K. did yeah. for a minute. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And people didn't even really even recognize that Larry was paving the way in that respect like if you reach yep. this level like there was this idea and louis ck is a you know an interesting a problematic figure at this point but yeah. the, the the dirt worst but a uh <laughs> but but kind of an important person in yep. the trajectory of auteur driven comedy on tv in that i remember when louis when louis you know started and was a hit and a bit of a phenomenon and all that stuff Everybody was asking for the Louis deal, right? I want, I want, give me, give me half the budget, but total freedom. Give me, you know, let me do it on my time. Let me hire my people, but like, and don't bother me. And Donald Glover got it. And Bill Hader kind of got it. And, you know, there are other people who've kind of gotten it. But what they're really asking for is a Larry David deal. No one really understood that. It almost seemed like he was a unicorn. He's been doing it for 20 years, but yeah. I mean, it it really, it definitely feels like FX looked at this and said, this is definitely the the model of what we want to be doing, right? Which is relatively lo-fi, relatively low-budget, you know, auteur-driven comedy. It's interesting. I mean, it's it's also, yeah, please, Esther. Oh, but I was going to say, what's so special about Curb and versus everything else that we're talking about yeah. is how fucking funny it is yes, every yes. single time. Yeah. I mean, obviously, it's like the thing that, you know, Louis pioneered that obviously Donald Glover does with Atlanta in, and Bill Hader will do with all the people that you mentioned mm-hmm. is, you know, it, it'll be very funny and they'll have, you know, but then they'll take wild sort of creative diversions that'll get very serious yeah. and you'll have episodes that are long monologues and you'll have episodes that have don't have anything to do. The thing about, that's magic about Curb is it's still the same. Like, yes. and it's, it's still the same essentially as this special basically Mm -hmm. and that feels so unique like it is still a sitcom you know and and i would also say too that's such a good point to, to to that point and i agree with you wholeheartedly is that uh 
it still feels like it's touching on Larry's actual life, right? Like it still feels, despite the fact that, and I agree with you guys that I didn't necessarily love the one hour special. um, What it, you know, it was one of the first mockumentary shows, right? Where it's kind of, and I didn't really like the talking head shit that they did in the special. And thankfully they got rid of all that in the series. But the fact that the fly on the wall kind of component of just sort of, existing in a version of Larry's kind of existence, I think also makes this feel lighter. I mean, the thing about Atlanta and the thing about yeah. Louis' show is that both of those are, are, as you said, sort of dramedies. You know what I mean? They're existing in this in this very different kind of universe. Whereas this feels like, yeah. I mean, in particular, if you look at the Seinfeld season of Curb Your Enthusiasm, where, you know, which is brilliant on so many levels. The best. You know what I mean? In terms of just being able to sort of, you know, recontextualize a finale to Seinfeld that nobody seemed to really like. <laughs> And you except know what me. I mean? It's it's so <laughs> except except Kenny. I bet you liked but, it as we do. <laughs> I didn't yeah. hate it, but it's the the, the 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 general audiences seemed less than thrilled with the way the show ended. But that's definitely true. I totally well, agree I, with you. The the general dummies th- didn't like yeah. it, but you know the morons didn't like Sopranos either. So what are you going to do? I mean, it's interesting. The talking head things is interesting. It was interesting that I think HBO was doing like a lot of that around the time. Like yes, the Sex and the yes. City like oh. pilot also has the, the talking heads does. element, Brutal. which is so bad. Yeah. The first season, I, yeah. it's, it's terror and it's terrible and yeah. they get rid of it. But also the talking heads thing feels like what's so funny watching the special now is that like we now have this innate knowledge of who Larry David is and the talking heads have to introduce this guy to the world because obviously people didn't know they knew Seinfeld, but they didn't know Larry David. So you sort of had to have Jason Alexander sitting there being like, yeah, like he's George, you know, this is who (laughs) he is. You have, yeah, yeah, he's me. Like we have to, they had to explain that, which is again, this sort of like weird time travel phenomenon where you're like, now the idea of Larry David is so ingrained, almost even, I'd say like to a certain extent, more so than some of the Seinfeld characters. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) He has managed to somehow eclipse Seinfeld. I think that, I, I look, I think Seinfeld is, 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 benighted in some sense like like you know it's untouchable not jerry so much seinfeld the show but um and jerry too but i think jerry you know the fact that he hasn't been able to follow it up has not and and he has tried has has not looked great also wouldn't you argue that that jerry's kind of hasn't aged well like as a person like i'm i'm i i I, you know what i mean like i don't i i think i think i would argue and i you know I have a lot of love for Jerry Seinfeld too, like a lot of love for Jerry. No, Seinfeld. as you should. But but I, I would say he hasn't aged gracefully, yeah. and I would say the Shoshana Lowenstein stuff uh, still yeah, loom, still looms yeah. pretty large, like in in a in in kind of a what exactly were we ignoring type yeah. way, or what exactly were we letting him get away with type way? But I think in addition to the Shoshana Lowenstein stuff, which has aged, which is ugh, and yeah. very upsetting. Yeah. Um, in many ways, there's something interesting about the comparison between Jerry and Larry in terms of wealth. Um, somehow, Jerry's wealth and the way Jerry projects his wealth and has projected his wealth in follow-up 
stand-up sets, in comedians in cars getting coffee, feels so unrelatable that it makes it sort of impossible to get on board with him. I think, and somehow, even though Larry has a ton of wealth Mm. on Curb Your Enthusiasm, even all these seasons later, somehow he he has managed to make it so that we are aware of his wealth, we're aware of his privilege, and yet we can still find something inherent in it. And I think maybe it sort of almost goes back to what, you know, I can't remember who says it in the... um, in one of the talking head points, it might've been Jerry that like this man, no matter what has happened to him in his life is the same. And maybe that's what works (laughs) is that like this man is the same. He's got the same foibles. He's got the same things that bother him, but Jerry's wealth feels icky in a way. And somehow Larry's wealth feels like we can still watch it and laugh about it. Jerry's wealth is fucking icky. It's a really good point. It's a really, really good point because the thing with the th- it's so interesting you bring that up because as Seinfeld went from the show that was going to get canceled to, you know, cover of Rolling Stone to the biggest show on TV to, you know, you know, a uh, million dollar an episode thing, plus I think more for those guys. And then he gets offered the five million an episode and turns it down. It was all about money by the end of it. And then we learned about yeah. his estate in, you know, the Hamptons and all, and Jessica Seinfeld, you know, and all these things that like project wealth. And then comedian cars getting coffee uh, is a disaster in that respect because yes. comedians and cars getting coffee is not bad when they're getting coffee. Yeah. No, but, but when it's him talking stuff, about his car, it's like, it's, this guy is not for me. You know, it's like yeah. you go, you and Jay Leno can go hang out with your fucking cars, but you're not for me. And and I think that's a really good point about Larry. I, I when as you're talking, I'm thinking about okay. So what is Larry's issue, problem, general want every episode? Because he has none. Outside of he really just wants to like live his life unbothered. You know, he just wants to be and alone. Also, I think we can the all. The thing about to that. most curb episodes is like. A lot of times, Larry is right. And that's the sort of, I think that is the crucial sort of crux of a lot of Curve's appeal is that even Larry has his own moral code that once you watch enough of it starts to make sense. And a lot of times, then you start to be like, yeah, you know, he's the he's being the reasonable person here. He's not right. acting in a reasonable way, but his essential his essential desire is reasonable, if that makes I, sense. I, I mean, would, like I'm thinking of like the like the the second to the most um not the most recent season, but the one before with Mocha Joe and it's like yeah, Everyone wants tables that don't wobble. Everyone wants coffee that's hot. Like all of these like things that yeah. seem, you know, that he is making a big deal about and you would never make a big deal of it in the way that Larry makes a big deal. And yet he's also sort of well, right. It's, 
Part of it is also stems a little bit from like, you know, Seinfeld, the series was about the mundane, right? It was about the things that we do on a daily basis, which is why everybody loves that show, I think, to some degree or another. And Curb is an extension of that, right? It's all about Larry's kind of mundane choices and what have you. The problem is that Seinfeld as a human has lost touch with that stuff, I would argue. Well, like the the grounded, believable world problems. But Seinfeld... People and people, rightfully so, because there's nothing really like it, conflate these two shows. True. You know, almost as if it's the idea of like, yeah. like, like Curb is just Seinfeld, you know, uh, on location. Uh, and Seinfeld is just Curb on set. It's not. There are, it is about the yeah. mundane to some extent, but it's yeah. also about the fantastical. There are so many things in Seinfeld that are so out of, you know, the yeah. realm of actual real human interaction. That's, yeah. the, that's so much of the charm of that show. Like, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, literally any episode, it's just so fun. It's Kerbis are things that could happen that are annoying. Seinfeld are things that maybe would happen one time to one person in the history of the world, right? Like maybe yeah. one guy had a yes. Kenny Roster, Kenny Rogers roaster sign <laughs> outside of his apartment window. And that right. guy was Kramer. And it was always Kramer. And this shit is very, like, I, I think Seinfeld is like gonzo and brilliant and so funny and so wild and so silly and such a joy. But Curb is really like, and Esther, I want to speak to your point about Larry being right. When you, Larry is the best character in TV to write for because Larry is always right because Larry is always right. Now, what I'm getting at is like, he can take either side of an argument and the way he presents it, you know, and he doesn't do it in an annoying way or whatever, but the way he presents it, you're like, yeah, that is annoying. But you never know, like a guy cuts him, Guy cuts in front of him in line, right, at the buffet, and he takes umbrage. But he could also be the guy cutting in front of the guy at the, bu- the buffet. You'd be like, well, yeah, this guy was taking forever. And you, he has this amazing both sides quality that I think people don't appreciate that either, which is if you really look at it, like, it all is about perspective. So, Yeah, it's – yeah, I mean, and it, clearly he does awful things. <laughs> Like, you know, for his own, sometimes for his own benefit. Um, But there is, I mean, I think I said this before, so I don't mean to repeat myself, but there's an essential sort of like reasonableness to Larry, even when he's being unreasonable. And there's also also just a, yeah, he's he's also kind of cursed and blessed Do you know what I mean? Like the show is playing both sides of that, which is that Larry frequently gets his way and doesn't get his way. And that's okay. That it goes both ways. Like, I feel like the show by and large, it, the, the twists, if you want to call it twists at the end of each episode tends to be Larry gets screwed somehow by Larry. Do you know what I mean? Like that, that he's his own worst enemy. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's also, like, the arc of the seasons, usually. Like, when there are sort of, like, seasonal arcs, this, this, the, like the arc Tracy of the Ullman seasons stuff in this past tend season. to be... Yeah. yeah, like, the Tracy Ullman stuff in this past season. Like, he he ends up fucking it up 
eventually, (laughs) or, you know, he, the, the producers, you know, the producers season where he ends Mm -hmm. up. That's one of my favorite things. I mean, (laughs) trying to produce, trying to do the producers, but then end up working. But the producers, the the producers are doing the producers with Larry. It's so good. Like Mel Brooks and Mel, Mel, you know, yeah. Was it Mel Brooks and Anne Bancroft drink toasting to the end of the show because Larry is starring in it? It's so good. Yeah. It's, yeah. Been, it's like that. Yeah. I like, I mean, I love that season. I love Larry being silly and big and, 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 and like, I love him feeling himself, like kind of recognizing that he is kind yes. of like this, this interesting talent. I mean, there's a season where he had the pass, Charles gave him the pass and all the whole season he was like, who am I going to sleep with? Who am I going to sleep with? But I think the bedrock of this whole thing, and this is true in Larry's real life, and this is true in the show, and I think they go hand in hand because he is playing a version of himself, is Larry's fundamental decency. Like, fundamentally, like, he, there are things he says and does in the show that if another character didn't have 25 or 30 years of goodwill did that, like, the whole, this whole last season. There's a lot of things in this yes. season that I think with other, in other people's hands and with other main characters, you might be like, uh, this is not great. But with him, I think we have a sense of the, of the, of the, where his heart lies, True. where the real Larry David's yes. heart lies, and the the gentle mocking that I think has been, yeah. Go ahead, Esther. I'm sorry, but the the this most recent season, the finale, the shoes, like the the he he take his, his shoes get shoes. wet. He takes off his shoes. He's at the Holocaust Museum. He puts on a pair of Holocaust shoes. Like it is, I was sitting watching it with my boyfriend and we turned to each other and are like, as he, there's a moment when he looks at the pile of shoes and he looks back and we're like, holy shit, is he going (laughs) to do this? Is he going to actually do this? And he does it. And you're sort of like, (laughs) and then he finds the shoes very comfortable. And it's like, only he yep. can somehow I'm not sure anyone else can really make that joke work. It's I, astounding. I, I fully agree with you. I was also pretty shocked as it was playing out in, in a way <laughs> that I was like, I can't believe that they're doing this and that it's working and that somehow they're getting away with it is really pretty incredible. And I also I, I think it's worth noting. Not to get political, but I do think it's worth noting that his <clears throat> his Bernie Sanders is also one of those things where I think it's softened Bernie. Do you know what I mean? To some degree, it, I, I think yeah. that any any issues that people might have had with him, to some degree, Larry David becoming the stand-in for him made it all feel a little bit funnier, made it all feel a little bit more, as you said, relatable. It, he, it, yeah. it just, it, I mean, on top of it just being perfect. I mean, on top of it being <laughs> the perfect person to play Bernie Sanders, it's just, it's, it's, it, 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 he's a fascinating figure in pop culture in that way, which is that, and I think Kenny said this earlier, Larry David's always Larry David. Like, I don't ever think that it's really changing. Like, even if he is Bernie Sanders, he's basically just Larry David, just sounding a little bit more curmudgeonly, I guess. But I think it's pretty fascinating. 
Um, I, I also think yeah. it's worth noting too, just just for what it's worth to our our listeners, in terms of a brief synopsis, in this HBO special upon which the series is based, Larry approaches HBO about having his own hour long HBO special. After a long hiatus, Larry begins performing stand up again in order to prepare for the special. However, hours from the show's uh, scheduled filming, Larry becomes nervous, lies to the HBO executives about the illness of a non existent stepfather in order to get the special canceled. After Larry is seen with a young woman, Cheryl accuses him of cheating. Uh, she has him swear in his children's lives, so discovering funny. it to be Jeff who is cheating. Yeah. Uh, this uh, episode was written by Larry David, directed by Robert. Is it Wide? Wide? Whitey? No, no, no it's, uh, it's it's not. It is Whitey, right? Okay, I believe you. Or I is it Weedy? It's Whitey. Yeah, it's like Whitey. Yeah. Uh, it aired on October 1st, 1999. It's got 80% on Rotten Tomatoes from critics and audiences. The LA Times said exceptional, except for occasional belabored moments, the rest of the mockumentary ranges from genial to hilarious with the self-spoofing David as himself amid a company of actors convincingly playing his manager, wife, friends, and associates. Um, I, I think what's interesting about, first of all, like, this special looks terrible. It looks horrible. Like, visually unwatchable. Unwatchable. <laughs> I mean, also even like the font. Is it like <laughs> it's like borderline Comic Sans? It is like, Comic Sans. I think. It's like this is H- This is HBO pre money. And I mean, it had obviously yeah. time yes. Warner, but but it just didn't put money into its shit. And it, like, if you look at stuff from before The Sopranos and Sex and the City, essentially, and this I think would count because it was yeah. before the the you know big boom of those shows. Um, it, they looked just revolting, and this looks yes. revolting. But I also, yes. I mean, yeah. there, are, I, there are a lot of you know. Look, I I think I look at I, all right. So I remember when. This is a bit of a tangent. I remember when Comedy Central started as a network, and I was very young. I was like in middle school or, whatever, mm-hmm. or even elementary school. I was very savvy. And I remember <laughs> thinking, this will never work because like, nothing is less funny than someone coming at you and being like, where are the funny guys? Right. right. So the idea yeah. of Comedy Central, yet... What happened pretty quickly, and it didn't work for a while, by the way. Like, it had horrible stand-up specials from B-Ray talent. It was just, it was not a great place for a while. Mm-hmm. But what happened very quickly is people who, who were not really, you know, being able to do their thing on network TV mm-hmm. found a home there and were allowed to experiment and do really cool things. And now, you know, there are, like, from The Daily Show to South Park to, you know, Broad City, there are just, like, countless examples of Comedy Central shows that have been really important. Mm-hmm. I think HBO original programming is somewhat similar in that they had original programming from, you know, the 80s, uh, but it was mostly just, you know, shitty talent doing shitty things on shitty budgets with shitty actors <laughs> that no one really, you know, acknowledged. It was like it was like bad TV, like basic cable stuff. And then some people came along, and I, you know, it's not really the David... Or real sex. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, or real sex. Yeah, it's not really the David yeah. Chases I give credit to. It's more like the Brad Grays I give credit to, who, like, recognize that, like, we actually have an opportunity here to tell cinematic stories, well, I think even that, on a low budget. I mean, I think Sex and the City deserves... I mean, Sex and the City does predate Sopranos no, in terms but of... But again, like, that's yeah. not... I wouldn't necessarily even give credit to a Michael Patrick King for that. I'd give credit to, like, a, you know, Darren Star for Darren Star. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and Michael also, Patrick King who shows so up. So weird, this. Michael Patrick. Yeah, Michael Michael Patrick King plays a is, HBO publicist in yeah. 
the I kept like looking at this like is that Michael Patrick King? Regarding this particular show, yeah, movie yeah. thing, this doesn't exist anywhere else. This would never make it on a network. This would never be on oh, a yeah. network. This would never be in theaters. This would never work on basic cable. Like Larry found the the medium for his message before anyone realized that there was a medium for his message. And I think that's pretty brilliant too. I think in as much as Seinfeld and Sex in the City, because I think people hold those up as like, you know, the, the twin pillars of HBO, uh, Curb has to be the third. Because sure. Curb is the Curb is the other one that broke the medium and showed that this is another way. Like Sex and City did. Sex and City basically said you could take you could take your comedies on location and you could start talking about things that people don't talk about on, on network TV and 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 center characters that don't get centered on TV. Curb said, forget your form. Like whatever form yeah, no, you've sure. been using, like you don't need it anymore over here. Sure. And I think Curb is, you know, incredible. The fact that it still exists, I think, means that people have not been able to put it in historical context the way they have with those other two shows. But it, it, it's right there. It is, it is equally as important, if not more important. Mm-hmm. And yet that's so interesting. It, it is so interesting because, but it's to what you were saying earlier, Kenny, that like the form is also sort of like inherently like the most basic form in, in a way. You yeah. know, you can break the form, but you're also, you know, A plot, B plot, it all comes back around, you know, like, the form is so elemental in a way. He's, yeah. Yep. I don't know. He, he's like, No, no, and I think that's, I think that's a good point, too. I think, you know, I think Larry very clearly felt like, well, the fundamentals of TV writing have never changed, you know? Like, yeah. that, that, like, the fact that people are trying to get away from that is the problem. But look at what else we can do. We can, we can, Beyond location, we can shoot with handheld cameras. We can, you know, have talking heads. We can cast people as themselves. We can, very, very interestingly in this pilot, we can talk about, you know, taboo subjects like infidelity in a way that's not judgmental, which is Mm -hmm. like one of its most shocking, like, components of this. You know, and they do that now with Jeff. And I, I was talking to my friend and he said, you know, I think Jeff has gone too far with the cheating and they used to never do that. I'm like, I just watched the pilot. He was doing it. Jeff has no. always been a dog. Yeah. I think that's, yeah, I think that was the thing. So I did a full rewatch over the pandemic. It was truly like the only thing I could watch at a certain sure. point. Um, and I think that is one of the things that, you know, this gets at, but like, Jeff is sort of from the beginning disgusting. Like, you know, I think you sort of, there's this weird moment where he's like, where I think in that, I think maybe in sort of like the absence between seasons like nine and 10, people sort of rewrote Jeff maybe as like, sort of like, oh, he's sort of like cuddly sidekick guys, but he's always been, he's always been cheating. Like there's that episode with the, massage where um he larry you know he sends larry to his masseuse who's like it's the first episode i ever watched of this show yeah Yeah. like it's like nine pumps right yeah 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 (laughs) and and jeff has always been gross i think like it's interesting that it leans into the sort of like cheryl hates jeff sort of thing in the special um which i feel like is a little bit muted in the series maybe because cheryl tends to align herself with Susie, who doesn't 
who like obviously emerges and becomes like the great hero of curb your enthusiasm in my opinion um but yeah jeff has always been gross like just absolutely gross. jeff is the world's jeff is the world's worst and he is also the the uh best illustration of a male friend on tv like this is the now i'm not saying i have these friends and i mean truthfully thank god i don't but uh I, you'll find yourselves in situations as a boy where you meet people like, say, like friends of your brother-in-law or friends of your cousin or people who are like two steps removed from you who all of a sudden start talking about going to sex workers or how much they love like happy endings or things that you're just like, like things that you kind of can't even believe like are happening in polite conversation. And you're just like, this is uh, awful, and I'm not hanging out with these people. That's, but they do. People you love, people you care about, people you think like are like good, decent people do hang out with these people who are like, di- you know, kind of disgusting, negative influences. Uh, and also, don't judge them for it. Don't like drop them, and it's just kind of like whatever. Teach their own. I've known this guy forever. Uh, that's Jeff, and I think it's like I, th- I think the 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 non judgmental nature of Larry's relationship with him may not be something that we would put on TV today, but its existence, I think, is really kind of revolutionary. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas, absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. I also think there is this interesting dynamic between like the roles that Jeff and Larry play on the series in that Jeff is disgusting. He's the worst. He's cheating on his wife all the time. He's, you know, he's just a heart. He's horrible. And yet Larry is always the person who's sort of more unacceptable in like public company. Larry is the one who's being yelled at. Larry is the one who people are shaking their fists at. Larry David. Because Larry's behavior is... Because Larry's just... It sort of goes back to the idea of, like, Larry being the weirdly reasonable one. Because Larry's just the person who's afraid to tell people what they don't want to hear. And Jeff is horrible, but his horribleness is the sort of horribleness to where you're talking about, Kenny, that, like, People just accept all the time and it sort of like rolls off people's shoulders. Whereas Larry's right a lot of the time, but he'll say it and it's, you know, and it's somehow more offensive than Jeff being a 
cheating jerk. A pig, yeah. Can I also yeah. say, you know, as you guys were talking, really something, something kind of occurred to me as well, which is that, like, you know, so many articles have been written about the HBO antihero, right? And the and the yeah. and the ground that was broken by your your Tony Sopranos and your and your Carrie Bradshaws to some degree as well. I think Larry's one of the great antiheroes as well to some degree or another. I think that 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 Larry has so much of this kind of built in his DNA as well in terms of being um, a, a person that will do things that you feel like no one should do. And yet somehow he's doing them and getting away with it. I, I think that there's something interesting. He's a classic in that. antihero. You're totally yeah. right. Yeah. Yes. Totally. And, it, and I think it's I, I think it's fascinating because I think that, you know, I talked about this a little bit when um, when I did the Sex in the City uh, miniseries on season two and how Carrie isn't necessarily spoken of in the antihero conversation either. And she should be. But I think that Larry is never talked about weirdly in that conversation. Well, again, this goes back to my one of what, what, what my one of my bet noirs, which is I don't think people understand what an antihero is. And I sure. think Larry is an antihero. Sure. I think Tony is a tragic hero. And I think these sure. are two very different things. Sure. Um, yeah. If you identify with Tony Soprano, you're a, there's a problem with you. You're a sociopath. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I mean, you, 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 the, the, the idea is the idea is I think to identify with him to a point and then be like, all right, I, I can't go any further with you. Yeah. Larry's the opposite. Yeah. At the beginning, you're supposed to say within any antihero, you're supposed to say. You're a problem. <laughs> like you're you're a blight on society. And then as the as the piece goes on, understand. Oh no, you're actually really kind of, you know, you're really kind of like deep down in your core, a good person who's out for the same things we're out for, and just has a different way of 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 going about it. And these mini little things that he does, these little, you know, small you know slights he 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 internalizes, or these kind of small slights he externalizes. Uh, are meaningless in the in the end of the end of the day. He's he's you know he's a good friend, and uh, he cares deeply about people, and he cares deeply about propriety, and I think he just wants things to be <laughs> as equal and fair as possible. And I think that's where so much of this stuff comes from. I think so much of Larry's thing comes comes from is this idea of like unfa- like fundamental unfairness. So often he champions the little guy. Yep. Yep. Oh. Yes. Yes. A hundred percent. Like. He and sometimes his championing of the little guy is completely in his own self-interest. But I think that's also, I mean, but that is interesting in the context of like, you know, the documentary elements of this new thing. I I mean, like I said this before, so I'm repeating myself, but like, you know, the idea that this guy has always been this guy. That like no matter how much money he has, he's always been this person. Um, yeah, so, the story I'm thinking of yeah. is actually a Seinfeld bit, but I'm sure it came from Larry. It was when George got so upset that at uh, at Brett, Mr. Pitt's store, I think that they maybe it was Mr. Pitt, whatever that a, at a store that they made the security guard stand up all day, and George <laughs> got the guy a chair, yeah. and then the guy fell asleep in the store, and got robbed. Yeah. But- <laughs> But it's like that's so quintessential Larry to me that he like he's, he's an injustice in the world and he goes and solves it and it backfires on him. But like we all look at the security guard and think yeah. he should be sitting, you know, that's very similar to I can't remember which season, if it was this most recent season or the one before. But it's the newsstand guy like the he. he oh, yeah. With he John Ham, right? Yeah. With John Ham. I, so I guess it was the season before yeah. um, where he 
it's like, don't you ha- get to take bathroom break- breaks? And oh. so me and Leon start a business to help these guys, these attendants <laughs> take bathroom breaks. You know, it's, yeah. it's like, yeah, I mean, there's, you know, he wants everything to be a certain way. It's, it's there, you know, that I think that was the same scene. I, I think that like, I think this past season was great. I think the season before this season was impeccable. Um, the Mocha Joe in mm-hmm. season. Um, and I believe that was also the season with Abby Jacobson, where he she's the waitress at um, the club. She sweats into the soup, which is disgusting. <laughs> and he... And he's accurate in thinking that's disgusting. But oh. then he accidentally gets her fired and then he gives her a car. Like, it's just, yeah. there is it this sort great. of, he has to, he does feel like he has to make things right in the world. It's in the most recent season, it's the, he gets the, um, the girl the job. Well, yeah, he gets the girl the job, but he also, he he gets the KKK guys robe yes, dry yes, cleaned. Yes, correct. Oh, Larry, you're so great. Like he's, he's just such <laughs> he a, has to take he's to the an dry unbelievable cleaner. human being. He's just an unbelievable. Like, what would you do if you spilled coffee in a KKK guy's robe? Like the, the thing about Larry is again, again, this is why I love it. Like he he. He can he can uh, play any side of an argument. Yeah. On one hand, he's I think people think of him as confrontational, but so many of his stories are about him trying to avoid conflict. Yes, like that story is just coming out. I gotta say, uh, it doesn't matter that you hate the Jews. Like I I, I screwed up. That's good shit. Yep. And that goes back all the way to the beginning, clearly in the special, like the Caroline Ray thing, you know, where she comes over, says hi, he mispronounces her name, she goes, Carol, and then she gets mad that he didn't say goodbye. And it's she's, like, she's very funny in it. <laughs> I she's really very like, funny. I really it. like her energy, her like, but her it's fuck like, you energy. <laughs> yeah. But it's like, like, I don't know. I wouldn't say goodbye in that situation. Like if somebody's at a different table, like that just sort of makes sense to me. I, you know, that sort of that fairness. I don't know. It's, it's fascinating. Well, it also speaks to, I I think one of, I mean, arguably one of the best episodes, the Palestinian chicken episode as well, you know, where he's just like, they they just have really good chicken and he just refuses to not go there because there, there's just something very... The, the, the taboos that this show's willing, there isn't anything it's not willing to go for. You know what I mean? For, for a joke. And somehow find the way to navigate these landmines that we... I mean, the, the Holocaust shoes being a, a perfect example of that, you know? He's an exceptional stand-up comedian who is doing stand-up in, in uh, like, this improvisational sitcom form. Because these are stand-up jokes. Like, like I think yeah. you're, you're I, th- I think the, the KKK robe is brilliant because, like, how do they keep those robes so white? That's a stand-up joke, right? <laughs> and then, you, like, like right. it, who, who, who is dry-cleaning these robes? Then who, like, that's a good joke. Yeah. And he yeah. plays yeah. that out in, in yeah. you know, in, in, in half-hour, you know, sitcom yeah. form. But like I, I, I think, and the, as you said this in the beginning, but I think it honestly comes down to the fact that he's just funnier than everybody else. 
<laughs> just actually like I think he's like I think there are a few people who are actually funny, right? Like also- he's actually funny. Tina Fey is actually funny. Sure, sure. Like yeah. there are these people who are just who their shit is just so funny, and then there are you know there are the people who are faking it. I would include myself. And I think, I think there's yeah, also, sorry, sorry, as the show has gone on, he's surrounded himself by more and more of these people that are actually funny. Sure. J.B. Smoove is actually funny. Yes. I wanted to Essman talk about. actually yeah. funny. Yeah. Like, you know, I think adding these people has somehow, you know, Richard Lewis is actually funny. You know, mm-hmm. adding these people. Kind of dance the is universe actually funny. Of the sh- yes. The universe of the show has grown so much that it is a world populated by all these people who just can make me laugh without. I'll just say one quick oh, yeah, thing before you, before you talk about J.B. Smoove. I, I think it's worth, because I assume that's what you were talking about. Of course, I, it's I, my boy. I just, I'll just say this, that I do think that the, I don't want to say the cameos, but the, the people they bring in are also really perfectly selected in, in ways that you, I mean, even just like, even a Dylan O'Brien showing up in this last season, like it's all just very smartly done. So even if it's someone who pops up for one episode or it's Tracy Ullman who does an arc, whatever it is, it, it feels very specific. It doesn't, it doesn't feel, you know, Famous I mean, people showing ham, up for the sake the of the John Ham thing was so yeah, funny. Yeah, exactly, exactly. That was brilliant. Like, that was just yeah. like really, really good. So, I, I, JB Smooth, yes. I think, was such a wild swing. Yep. And connected in a way uh, I, I, I almost can't fathom. <laughs> I mean, that season was so funny, right? If you yeah. remember, the, if you remember yeah, the, yes, relax, with, yeah. the idea, yeah. The idea was they took in a Hurricane Katrina family. I mean, like, that's how this started. They took in a Hurricane Katrina family and over... And, and J.B. Smoove wasn't even part of the face. just lived No, it right? Vivica Fox, like, you know. It was like, yeah, it was Vivica Fox's family and J.B. Smoove was like her brother who just, like, hung out a lot and also lived there. And, and yeah. it, by the end of the season, like, I think that was the season he divorced uh, Cheryl and fell in yes, love with... Yeah, because he started... Yeah, because he starts dating Fell in love with the gay fox. And that was all really funny. And then they broke up in the in the premiere of the first, of the next season and J.B. Smoove just didn't leave. And, yeah. like, how do you think... Like, I, like, the funniest thing about it now, and I love this about it, is, like, he still has these people in his lives, Jeff, and, you know, he had... Uh, Funkhauser, God rest his soul, and he had Richard Lewis and all these people who were in his life before this and after this, and no one even acknowledges how weird it is that this guy just never left. <laughs> and he has a roommate, and it's Jamie Smoove. He it's is great. like the only thing about Leon, who I love, I deeply, deeply love, and I think everything's funny, is I always have this, I want more Leon because sure. he sure. always makes me laugh. And I think it's a very uh specific <laughs> Uh, intention, uh, intended decision to give us not that much of him. Well, for I, sure, you. I don't like that, but it feels <laughs> like that. It feels like it feels like they are meeting him out, and 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 I feel like every season they must get a, you know because they take pitches. Don't tell anyone. They must get a thousand pitches for Leon stories. And they must. One. They must have this. I. <laughs> they must have this. Uh, this you know less is more with Leon thing, which is I don't know. Is that true? I mean, well, but don't you feel like leave him wanting more? I mean, isn't that yeah. always what the the, the I adage? Think, I don't I know. Mean, I think that's true of almost all I of want the more supporting Larry. care. 
But I think that's true of almost all of the supporting characters. Um, You always feel like you could watch an entire show of Leon or an entire show of Susie or, you know. Or Cheryl. Or Cheryl. Leon Leon and Susie in particular. Leon and Susie in particular. Because they're so. Unbelievable comedic supporting characters. They They are both, they are both like hurricanes of humor. So. Well, and- yeah, I mean, Susie is just, I mean, it's its insane. Every scene she has with Larry is just, she's insane. I mean, the visual joke of Susie. Yes. Her outfits I know. are oh, so amazing. <laughs> like, they're so funny. They are so everything from, you know, early on her yelling about the doll head to, um, you know, to the jackets that she made. One of my favorite more recent episodes is when he gets her the portrait. Yes. And it's all so good, but you, but it is the same thing as Leon where it's like, they almost know that too much of a good thing. Like you have to keep a tiny bit Keep people a tiny bit wanting. Susie and Larry play a very specific game, which I which I love. Which is almost every time, unless like there's some, you know, pre-existing incident where Jeff did something and Larry was aware of it. But almost every time, Susie enters a scene with Larry, like loving him. You know, and like every time, it's like Larry, great to see you. You got to do this. We got to do that. We're gonna do this together. And, and then he hates him by shit. the end of the episode. Yeah, he doesn't shit. And she plays the role of like the audience member who hates him. He's like, get the fuck out, Larry. Uh, <laughs> and, and that's a great bit and a great game. And it always plays because they're both so good and she's so funny. And like, I don't know. If, I don't, I assume because the whole show's improv that she's, you know, writing these lines for herself. But just the, 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 the things that come out of her mouth are so unexpected and so funny. And the vitriol she has for this guy is it's like, amazing. it's yeah. the vitriol the world has for him in, in, you know, Personified microcosm. Yeah. Uh, the the Leon game is different. Yeah, Leon is the angel on his shoulder. You know, angel. You know, relatively speaking, who's always egging Larry on. I yes. love it. He is he, Leon is always like, I can't believe this happened to you. Like you have to do something about this. You're right, yeah. Larry. This is an injustice. I want to so take good. A quick second, because you brought something up, Esther, that I think is worth noting, especially since you have a book that just came Wait, out about sorry, passion. I want to talk about a book. I, but real fast, real fast on the J.B. Smooth thing. Because I just realized this. He came about right as the show started to acknowledge what we are acknowledging throughout this conversation is that people identify with Larry. That yes. it's the people aren't always thinking this guy is a schmuck. A lot of time people are thinking this guy is right. So J.B. Smoove came along right at that moment to validate the audience. Be like, this guy agrees sure. with you. Sure. And yeah. I think that's really interesting now that we have these, you know, these two sides of the Larry David coin. Also, he's so fun. there is this thing that is stuck in my head where he says, hey, just J.B. Smoove says like, hey, do anchovies have to go on pizza or can you eat them loose? loose. <laughs> All the time. Can you eat them loose? I wanted to ask you, Esther, because as I mentioned, you have a book that just came out about Oscar fashion. Um, do you want to talk about your book for a second? What, what, what is it called and, and where can people sure, find thank it? Thank you. Um, it's called um, Beyond the Best Dressed. Um, it is, uh, you can find it um, at whatever bookseller you want to buy it from um, sure. on the internet. Sure. Um, it is released by Running Press. Um, you know, support your local indie and go to bookshop.com yeah. so, or 
Yeah, some support, booksellers are better than others. Yeah, some booksellers or, are better than others. Uh, you know, and, and speaking of fashion, Bezos and go to Amazon. You know, you had an amazing uh, Super Yaki. Um, as a, as a huge Bjork fan, I, w- I bought both of those shirts. So I uh, I appreciate Yay. your your brilliance when it comes to your great taste in Icelandic uh, musicians. But I'll just say this: um, I bring all of this up because I do think that this show is kind of iconic in terms of of Larry's outfits, Susie's outfits. I feel as though Larry, who is not showy in any way, kind of has this iconographic great style. Yeah. Right? Style to him that I was curious if you wanted to expand on. Yeah, I mean, well, the aesthetic of the show is so interesting. I think to beginning, like we talked about your your I think before we were on Mike, we were talking about Brentwood and like yes. the idea that this like West Side style sure is a style i don't know but not in sure. the way that like you but not in the sort of typical way that you think of like la style exactly it, it's yeah. it's this sort of rich guy casual but it's like not loungewear. fancy loungewear i mean there is that like great episode where he the dead he likes the dead guy's shirt um and then he uh it's um I think it's their interior designer and they um he sees the picture of the dead guy and he likes the shirt and then he goes buys the shirt and then they run into his widow and they can't he can't believe that he just went and bought the shirt um but it is this sort of you know it seems comfy and yet elevated in a way and style and fashion, I think, like, also just, it's always a part of the show. I mean, the most recent most recent season, there was the episode where um, Vince Vaughn as uh, uh, Freddie Funkhauser, sorry, um, <laughs> um, uh, 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 lends him his yeah. favorite shirt, and he <laughs> spills on it, and it's like, why would he lend him? Just the idea of clothes also... Being part of the like an important part of the universe, Susie is antithetical to him because mm-hmm. of the way she is loud in her mm-hmm. fashion, and he's so quiet in it. Like, but also it's just yeah that like aspirational Brentwood rich guy, but yeah. not but not ostentatious fashion is so. Well, there's there's something very you know old Jewish man who just wants to be comfortable thing yes. that, that courses through, especially what Larry wears. I mean, again, yes. the Holocaust shoes come into play. They're comfortable. Again, like yeah. it's just comfort above all else. But I just mean in the sense that he almost has a uniform. Do you know what I mean? Oh, like yeah. there is there is this kind of thing that you associate with when you think of Larry David in your head. It's just he looks very comfortable, but also he doesn't look like a he, doesn't he look looks like a schlub. Like exactly. He doesn't yeah. look like a schlub. It's interesting. He did look like a schlub earlier in the run. He did. And he in this himself, in this special, he, for instance. He pulled himself together to some extent. And I, I don't know. I think like I keep thinking Larry it it almost feels like Larry David. All right, so Larry, the Larry David of the show, and the Larry David of real life, made about five hundred million dollars from Seinfeld. 
right? Whoa, so he's wow. a, so he's a very rich man. He's a he's a, he is such a, <clears throat> he's a laughably so rich man, right? Holy like, shit, that's and crazy. Is, for 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 a guy who was you know who couldn't even get on SNL and was on Fridays, that's pretty good. So. Yeah. He, uh, yeah, I think he was in this enough, but then whatever. Yeah. Uh, Larry, so, so Larry David is an exceptionally rich man. In a sense, this story, and, and he lives in LA, lives in Brentwood, you know, obviously Jerry stayed in New York, and, and yep. you know, Larry decided to die and go to heaven instead. <laughs> and I think for a lot of people in this country and this world, Larry yep. David is quote unquote living the dream. Sure. Um, he works when he wants. He does what he wants. He wears what he wants. He lives where he wants. He he does everything, and it, it's it's just an interesting. Uh, th- there is an interesting aspirational nature to this whole show. To be so privileged and comfortable to yep. give a shit about the things he yes. gives a shit about, like that. Absolutely. Could you imagine? To be so fucking comfortable that you can get that you can like take umbrage with all these little things, and that could be your daily routine. And you could have, you know, you you have a wobbly table in front of you. You could speak up, and he doesn't do anything. And you could start a a a spite store next door. I like it's it's there is just in in the I think there is some like this for a lot of us for the modern for a modern person. Living in this yeah. modern society, this does feel in a way like the ultimate wish fulfillment. Yeah, I, yeah or even in the even in like the special, you know, it, it's there from the beginning, which is walking away from the thing that you have to do, like where he's just like, I don't want to, yeah, the stand up anymore. I just walk away from it. And yet, I think what's so what works so well about it is that like it's stuff that you sort of like if you could, if you did have that privilege, like maybe you do that. Like if you did have that privilege, maybe you'd say something about the wobbly tables or, sure, you know, sure. the fact that your coffee isn't hot enough, you know? And then in, um, and then in real life, you would make shows when you want to make shows. Yes. And you would, and you would, and you would demand final cut. And you would yep. say, I'm, do- <laughs> I, I, I'm doing this episode about stealing shoes from a Holocaust survivor and no one else could. And if you don't want me to, I, I, I mean, I won't, but I just won't do the show. Like you're not yeah. even getting a different episode, I and do that's think it's, pretty. That's pretty fucking th- amazing. And sure. just if you if you look at what other super wealthy people, crazy wealthy people, in like his you know his very rarefied tax bracket do, he's like the only one I think people don't get pissed about because he's the only one who like still feels like you know a fairly normal guy. Well, because I don't think. I mean, I just don't think he's interested in rubbing people's noses in in his successes. No, he uh, no, really... Nor is he interested in pretending that they don't exist. Sure, right. which sure. Is, which 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 I think is which is a balance too. that's tricky for sure. Yeah. You know, I I think it's I do think it's interesting that I mean the 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 Seinfeld comparison I think is apt in the sense that Seinfeld just reeks of this. Look at what I've accomplished. I mean, comedians getting. Uh, Comedians and cars getting coffee is one of those things where there's episodes in particular, moments in particular. I'm like, he just seems like a dick. He seems like a rich dick, and and whether or not he's cognizant of that, he certainly doesn't care if he is, and that's just what it is. Whereas Larry doesn't feel that way. He just feels like a guy who who's just you know. First of all, 
he'll never be content, right? I mean, Larry feels like a guy who's <laughs> always sort of in search of something. And that, I think, is the human condition, you know, amplified as well, of just someone who's always kind of longing for something. Whereas, for all intents and purposes, Jerry doesn't feel that way. Jerry feels like he's got everything. No, Jerry's Jerry's lame. And he... And- <laughs> And I don't know, like his his thing, his thing, his thing since Seinfeld has just been like extreme lameness. Um, it, except for his stand-up specials, which are still funny. Like he still yeah. nails that. But like yeah. B movie or the Marriage Ref, or his documentary say, comedian, I liked for what it's it was a for. really good documentary. That but and and that feels like the kind of thing I wish he would do more of because he's obviously extremely smart. But, you know, often misguided. I mean, isn't he doing like a Pop-Tart movie or something, Phil? Yes, I believe so, yeah. So, <laughs> he's doing like, you know. I think, uh, but I think it's funny because we just did up on our, our Patreon. Patreon, yeah. And I was talking about, you know, shows and things about old people. Larry's now 70 years old. You know, yeah. when he started this, I mean, yeah. in, the, in this show, he's in his late 40s. And the thing yeah. we're doing, yeah. he's yeah. in his late 40s. Jeff, yeah. by the way, is 37, which is a mindfuck. <laughs> um, but uh, Larry is in his late 40s. Now he is 70 years old. I Looks the same. I, he looks so good. He's like... The, the 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 greatest trick Larry ever pulled was this idea that he can just... You know, that 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 beautiful women will throw themselves at him and it's believable, but he. It is a hundred percent. Not believable. even because of the money. But it is a hundred percent. Yeah, no. <laughs> it's not because of the money. It's also the aesthetic. Like it's yes. the there is something there's something that works. Like and, he, and I gotta I gotta say he's got a nice face. He he's does. Just, he's just got yeah. a nice. He's just got a nice face. Like so he Larry. All right. So I hope this show goes on until he dies. And I hope yes. he dies at about a hundred years old because I hope he's like I, I hope he has that Norman Lear thing where yes, he can yes, still yes. produce at a high level into his nineties and even mm. be on screen because I think that would be a really exciting thing. I think that'd be a really great thing for society 100%. to watch this old man kill it. So <laughs> seventy's not old anymore. You know, seventy's you know seventy is like whatever. Like you get in your eighties, then we could start talking. I'm looking at his. Emmy nominations and wins. And it's kind of crazy that he's never won for acting. He's been nominated six times for for Curb. He's only won two Emmys in 93. He won for Seinfeld, 101 Best Series, and for The Contest. Um, which, sure. I mean, Good arguably one of, one of the best episodes of television. <laughs> um, but I, I'm just fascinated by how much love Curb gets on the nomination side and yet never seems to actually pull out a win. Yeah. I think Curb is something weirdly we take for granted. Maybe less so in uh, like these past two seasons because it feels sort of like miraculous that they existed. Sure. Um, after that absent, like, you know. Yeah. Because, you know, like season... This was season eleven. Like season nine was sort of an off season. That's the fought with season. Like it's, yeah. it's you know, there's good stuff there, but it just didn't feel as strong. And then it just like came back out of the gate, and so it just almost feels like you know, we are so like we so take it for granted. Yeah, I I think it's interesting. I so I'm looking at the years. I mean, in terms of when it aired, and it's interesting that you know you got oh three oh four. Then 6, 8, 10, 12, 16. There's a big gap between 2012 and yeah. 2016. Um, 
but um, yeah, I, I just I, I I agree with you that 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 we take it for granted. But I also think that it comes back to sort of what we were saying earlier, of like. Larry's going to do this when Larry wants to do this. And if, he, if he's going to take a four-year absence, he's going to take a four-year absence. And I think that part of that is to what you were just saying, Esther, of making sure that the quality is where it needs to be and that yeah. he is, you know, that he's, that he's happy with, with the output. I also imagine, I mean, he's nominated in 2016 for, for SNL for playing Bernie. And I imagine that to some degree or another, that probably affected production in terms of, uh, of him having to fly back and forth between New York and L.A. Yeah. But I, I do think that it's, I mean, I agree with you 100%, Kenny. I hope the show runs forever. I hope that, that Larry keeps doing it as long as he possibly can. I hope he is a, a Mel Brooksian or, or a Norman Lear type who just keeps going. Until I think can. he will. I think yeah. he will. And, and I think, you know, he never had to do anything. And I think if he, did, if he didn't want to do anything, he wouldn't have done anything. That's very clear to me from this guy. If he wanted to go and play golf, he would have gone and played golf. I think he has a lot to say. I think I, I really yeah. do. I think he has a lot to say. I think you know you you see it in interviews and you see it you know, you know everything you read about him. He is uh, you know he was a proponent of electric cars before that was a thing. He's a social justice warrior to some extent. He yep. is you know vocally anti-Trump. He is he yep. in he is out there in a way that doesn't feel you know your typical Hollywood liberal thing that everyone despises. I mean he I don't think I don't think people. I don't think people on the other side of the aisle give a shit, which is kind of an amazing yeah. thing. I, and to your, to, your, uh, to your point, I don't think that he's seen as a particularly political figure, and yet I people, do think he is. Do you people, know what I mean? Like I, People yeah. know, but yeah. I don't think they care. Yes. Right? Like, yeah. I, 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 think, I, I think he's kind of held up by the right as like the kind of liberal that people can stomach. <laughs> no, for sure. For sure. I, you know, I, I think that there's also something, you know, in terms of of this show doing what Larry wants it to be. I mean, we talked about this at the top, but you know, this was a one-time project for him. This, this episode of what we're talking about in terms of the, the special was a one-time thing. I think that it was, he had an itch he wanted to scratch and he wasn't sure how it was going to work. And it obviously worked. It's turned into a thing that he can do what he wants to do with. But even just looking at this, the, the rounded offness of this one hour special, the fact that the whole thing is about him doing a stand-up special that he doesn't actually do is so perfectly this show. The idea of, of him never doing the HBO special. And also the idea that like, you know, what you were saying, Kenny, about like how, he, how good he is at stand-up, but yeah. like, He's not actually, it's sort of like, it's almost like the special was like him testing out stand-up. He decides he doesn't want to do stand-up, but he figures out that like the format of the special is something that he likes to do. It's it's a very Larry way of like figuring it out. Yeah. And the thing about Larry that uh, is like, to me, like the greatest trick he's ever pulled Mm -hmm. or greatest is, is in the end of the day, I think this is like, I think this is true for Lena Dunham too. Mm -hmm. Um, In the end of the day, as as bumbling as their characters might be and the way they're always stepping in shit, you can't deny that the real versions of them made these shows. And they are like incredibly like creative, functional visionaries. Yep. And I think that they like Lena Dunham, who I, you know, love, uh, 
has fallen victim to people conflating her character with her yes. real life persona. Especially in the beginning. Yeah. In the beginning, but even now, I think people like, you know, think Hannah is Lena and forget that actually, no, no, Lena created Hannah and everything else that you saw on that show. Uh, Larry, like, yeah, I think it's interesting that he makes this show essentially about his process of deciding that stand up's not for him. And at the end of the day, he's left with something even more amazing and it just keeps making it. So right. I, I, he's like, yeah. I also appreciate that he gets rid of the stand-up component. Like, there's a part of me oh, that's yeah. like, because that feels, first of all, very Seinfeldian, right? Obviously, you know, with the with the that's stand-up. That's how bits. Seinfeld started, yeah. So, so, and and and, and is a hallmark of the show. And I, I do feel like getting rid of the stand-up is is essential. But also, and you said this earlier, Kenny, the show feels like stand-up bits that have been unpacked in, I think, a much more clever way than just telling us, you know, straight to the, to the camera. The, or the original the pitch of Seinfeld was let's do a show about how a stand-up comedian gets his material. Yeah. And they're, you know, et cetera, et cetera, which of course the real show would be very boring. We saw the real show <laughs> comedian. It's a guy, yeah. it's, a, it, yeah. it's a, it's a, it's, it's a depressed person sitting as a, sitting in his apartment, <laughs> pinning, you know, pinning index cards to his wall. Yeah. Uh, but you know, they, they started to Seinfeld that way. And it, if you, you could see it in the early episodes, he does his stand up at the beginning of the episode. And then you kind of see the way it informs the show. Uh, this actually does feel like that without the explicit, Let's show how a stand-up gets his uh, bits. This actually feels like signed like like Larry, and I, I know this to some extent to be true. Like Larry, just you know, with with his producers, whether it's Bob Whitey, whether it's um, you know Jeff Schaefer now, whether it's Alan Zwei Bell, these like you know Karen Leifer, these these luminaries, they just sit and beat the shit out of these ideas, and then they're like, all right, let's give it to our brilliant improvisers and see what they say. Yeah, it's it's. It's a fascinating animal to look at from 30,000 feet as a television show, the way that the structure of it, the way that it actually comes to be. You know, Kenny mentioned, obviously, that they're open to pitches to some degree or another. It's very organic. It all feels very, um, it just, again, I mean, it all feels very organic and smartly done. Um, I, I, and I, Esther, just kind of to, to, to mirror what you were saying, I do think that we take it for granted because it seems so, quote unquote, easy. Um, you know what I mean? It's just, it's yeah. a very, it goes down very easy. It's a show that's really funny. It's a show that's very smart. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, do you, Esther, have a favorite season? Do you have a, a favorite arc that, 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 that jumps out to you? I was talking about this. Um, recently, and we were talking about favorite episodes. Sure, um, sure, sure. I, but I love the New York season, um, not the producer season, the Cheryl post-divorce New York season, um, which has one of my favorite episodes, which is the one with the little gay kid who um, Larry teaches about Hitler. Um, and that... <laughs> he does um, love, he does love the Holocaust. Yeah, he does a lot, I guess. Um, that is one yeah. of my. That is one the of my. The little gay kid that Larry tells about Hitler is incredible. Well, yeah, he he buys him the he buys yeah. him a sewing machine, and then he makes uh, mm-hmm. Susie a pillow sham with a swastika on it because uh, he thinks that because Larry has Larry is going around drawing swastikas and Hitler mustaches on every magazine that he encounters, mm-hmm. like. I, 
and and that that's also the Michael J. Fox season, um, which I love. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I mean, sure. uh, there's so many there's so many seasons. I really did love the Mocha Joe season. Um, mm-hmm. I uh, I mean, one of my favorite episodes, sort of an underrated episode, I think, is the Freak Book, um, where uh, Larry gives. Ted a book of um, sideshow freaks at Ted's (laughs) birthday party and then immediately takes it back and they're at this party and um, Jeff and Larry just start (laughs) reading the freak book and laughing and can't stop. Uh, Oh my God. Yeah. It's great. Kenny, do you have any favorites? Well, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm the the one that always jumped out to me that was just like, you know, almost like your version of the the Holocaust shoes moment was Crazy Eyes Killer. Like I, oh, I just couldn't believe Crazy Eyes Killer. I couldn't believe was happening. Like, there's my Caucasian. I, I, I <laughs> it's just like. Like that's, I mean, a lot of people say, you know, that that kind of gave birth this idea of like maybe Larry should have a recurring black sidekick, but it was he was Wanda's boyfriend. He's like loving, yeah. like it just it there was it it just had this like same JB Smooth energy, which was just like someone gets Larry and it's this gangster rapper. <laughs> <laughs> And like I loved, I loved that episode. I think um, I'm, I'm just looking at the guy who played Crazy Eyes Killer because he was so uh, funny and perfect, uh, and he's in a lot of shit. So I should at least say his name. Uh, no, they don't I mean it's it's it is a really special show that I think when it's done, whenever it's done, who you know, whatever. I do think. I do think that it really sort of has etched itself into television history in a way that is entirely its own. And I think that I imagine that Larry David loves that it's kind of taken for granted a little bit. Do you know what I mean? His name is Chris Williams. He's in a ton of shit. (laughs) Um, I I just, I I think I'd be very curious to hear I don't feel like Larry David wants a legacy is kind of what I'm coming is what I'm sort of saying. Like, I think Larry David would be fine with just existing and then perhaps being forgotten. And maybe I, and, and I, I don't say that to say that he will, because I don't think he will be. I think he has a legacy, but I just wonder whether or not he gives a shit about that at all. I don't think he gives a shit. Yeah, I, I, too, nor- yeah. Normally I would look for the contrarian point of view on that one, but I really don't think he <laughs> Um, well, Esther, it thank just, you so much for. I, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, please. Oh no, I was just gonna say, like, that's the purity of Curb is that, like, it's just it's he just wants to keep doing it when it's funny, you know? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I you know, not to to belabor the point, but I really do think that there's something to the freedom that Kenny was referring to earlier. Yeah. Of him being able to say, I'm going to do it when I want to do it, and I'm going to do it when it's good, and when it's bad, or when I feel like I don't have it in me right now, or whatever, I'm going to walk away from it. It's wonderful. It genuinely feels like, in, yeah. a, in a way, he's the only person on TV who makes TV not from a place of fear, but from a place of love. And yeah. that yeah. is almost impossible. In, in, in our because e, you know even like you know the the hundred million dollar people in Netflix the Shondas and Ryan Murphys et cetera et cetera still have to you know 
service those deals. And there is like a certain amount of fear and reputational fear from that. And you, you, I, I sense it in every show I watch that mm-hmm. every, everybody involved knows that this is the, you know, being seen by hundreds of thousands, if not millions yeah. of people. And this is your chance, you know, this is your chance to break out and become someone like Larry David. And he just does it because he loves it. And that's, well, I can't think of anyone else who, who yeah, it's, it, I, I fully agree with you, Kenny. You know, both of us working in television, this show yeah, obviously I'm is very fearful all the time. <laughs> yes, as am I. <laughs> um, as am I every day. I, I, I think that it's part of it is that this show is also sort of about the making of television. At least yeah. some seasons are. Yeah. Um, so I think to some degree or another, there's that kind of metatextualism that, that, that I'm drawn to. It certainly but, gets how much downtime there is in the making of television. Right. <laughs> it very much conveys how little actual work is being yes. done when you're making a television show. Um, and I mean, my God, this last season, there were so many great bits in the making of, of Young Larry. Um, I mean, the, the, the roping off of his chair. Um, the, just, there, there was just some, I, I don't know. There was just a lot of stuff that, you know, Kenny and I obviously spent a fair amount of time on set and, and it, it does convey very well the vibe of being on set. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, it's just, I don't know. I, I think it's a really, um, it's just, it's a special show in so many ways. And I do think that as, as, I mean, Kenny, you wrote in comedy. I never did. Um, so so you know what it's like when things, quote unquote, can always be funnier. And I think that that's something that this show navigates beautifully as well. Mm-hmm. It's not true. Things can't always be funny. <laughs> yeah, no, It's not com- true? Things can't com- always no. be funny? The curb can't be funnier. Uh, it, comedy is... And I think any any comedy writer would tell you this: writing comedy is hell. Writing comedy, particularly with particularly with a, with a, a group of people, it's like fucking a night. It's a fucking nightmare. I I, I don't told, I don't believe I don't believe Curb is like that because I don't believe the people sure. are. I, I believe everyone's secure enough to let everyone else shine. Like there the, isn't a room you, either. Con, there's not a room, <laughs> but there there it, it, there's not a room, but there is a room. There there right. there like it like there are a bunch of people talking sure, sure. to each other about the sure. show. But uh, the yeah no the like the, the the beauty and purity of like improv among people who aren't famous or sometimes who are famous is like the willingness and the the in in fact the imperative to let other people shine. Yes, um, yes, yes. That's the whole goal, you know, is to make everybody mm-hmm. else look good. Mm-hmm. Somewhere from the you know from the stages of UCB into the writers' rooms of you know Fox and Paramount, people forgot that, and it was all about making totally. yourself shine. And that's a big issue with comedy writing. I I've, I I'm sure I've told this story before. I've certainly told to you, Kenny. I, the only time I've ever been in a comedy room was I, I past and future guest Hunter Covington had me in a in a punch up room for a pilot he did many years ago, um, and. Uh, it was a nightmare for me. I'm not a comedy writer, but also just um, no one laughs at anything. Everyone just says, oh, that's room? funny. It was fucking brutal. It was awful. Who else was in that room? Oh, oh God, room, I'm trying right? to remember. Um, I mean, obviously, Hunter, Stacey, there was uh, Susanna Fogel was in that room. It was a, it was it was one of those things, um, as I'm sure you know, Esther, uh, it was it was a um, 
it was a multicam comedy. They were shooting the pilot. So in between days of shooting, you would have yeah. nights where people would try to do punch up of the stuff that was coming down the pike in future days. I've done uh, it too. It's, it's very upsetting. Oh, it was, I was just like, this is awful. Who yeah. does this? Why does anyone want to do this? No, like, it's like uh, this idea uh, that like, first no. of all, like I barely feel comfortable pitching jokes among people I know, but to go into a room with six people I don't know, yeah, we're yeah, all fuck. like, we're all good at this. Yes. You know? Oh, yes. Awful. awful. Oh. It's, it is, it's, it's a fascinating thing. And that's why I think this show, again, occupies such an interesting lane of, of not doing that, what we're talking about, right? Of not sort of falling prey to all of the sort of shitty things that happen in comedy television in so many ways. It's, it's pretty brilliant. But, um, Esther, thank you so, so much for coming on to talk about this with us. We very much appreciate it. Thank you for having me. <laughs> we, this was so We hope that cool. you'll come back and talk we about... We got to talk uh, about Curb. How exciting. <laughs> we figured it, it out. great. My favorite thing. We, we hope that you'll come back and talk about either more TV or movies or anything like that in the future. But uh, this was an absolute We'd love blast. To. Awesome thank you so, to have so you, much. Thank, thank you so much. Coming. Where can people find you? And, uh, and is there uh, anything that you want to, to, to talk about, <laughs> to plug? Uh, <laughs> uh, you can find me um, uh, Twitter Easy Writes um, or and read my stuff on Thrillist.com and uh, buy my book uh, available at bookstores um, online. You can also hear her amazing episodes of Blank Check, which uh, are fantastic, and everyone should listen to those as well. Yeah, um, but you, yeah, you, you know she's good because she didn't go for the obvious Easy Writer joke on. Uh, on Twitter, so good for you. Yeah. Oh, I it's, definitely tried when I got a Twitter in uh, <laughs> when it was like 2009, and I was like, "Someone college, already had it." Somebody already go, had I'm, it. Yeah. I'm going to go tweet at them for being uh, unfunny. Blame. Uh, <laughs> All right, this was this was fantastic. Thank you so so much, Esther. See ya. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.